I just think that it's just really difficult to just turn our backs on these people who are just trying to find a safe um, life for themselves and for their families. From First Community Church in Columbus, Ohio, this is Still Listening with Julie and Glenn Miles. Welcome to Episode 5. Hi, this is Glenn and Julie Miles, and we're still listening. Uh, today we've got a couple of um, semi-serious, well, I suppose it's always serious, but today's feel a little a little heavier, theologically heavier, maybe even a little bit um, politically and nationally heavier than we've tackled so far, but that's all right. We're still listening to each other, and we, of course, want to listen to our world. So the first thing we want to talk, tackle, though, is um, about our own Christian faith and the theological ideas that resonate uh, with us. In other words, the question that Morgan gave to us is, um, why are you a Christian? Julie, why don't you jump in on that first? Why are you a Christian? Um, I, I believe that I was compelled um, as a teenager um, by the life and the teachings of Jesus. Um, while I do believe that he experienced resurrection, I don't believe that that is the most compelling aspect of being uh, a Christian, at least not for me. Message and example of complete and yet undeserved love for the world in face of his own death is what compels me to be a Christian. Um, Jesus' expression of love, even for the people who would betray him, abandon him, and ultimately put him to death, is so outside my sense of justice that it haunts me. I am compelled to learn to love like that. That's um, that's really good preaching. Should we take an offering now and <laughs> uh, sing a hymn and and then go to lunch if it's like a Sunday morning? Uh, that's that's really good. Say a little bit more about why you um, uh, the resurrection isn't strong for you. There, I can I can feel some of our Bible teachers from our um, more conservative evangelical uh, upbringings kind of freaking out over that a little bit. Say say a little bit more about that. Um. That whole idea of resurrection, I think, is um, not all that unusual. There are people today who have experienced life after death. Um, How do you mean? It, like near-death like experiences? Like near-death experiences, mm-hmm. and they come back with messages of grace and love. And, um, you know, so that in and of itself is not as powerful as the life and teachings of Jesus, what, you know, reading and learning more about how, um, what kind of person can love the world in such a way that doesn't require that love to be returned. Um, that's what compels me most. But I pretty much line up with that in, in, in a variety of ways. I think for myself, uh, I, you know, we were taught growing up in the churches you and I attended um, primarily as kids. You know, we were taught that that Jesus came to, quote, die, die for, for our, our sins, sins. Mm-hmm. And, and that there was an atoning um, death that took place. In other words, our, our sins were covered. And um, I do remember when I was in oh, probably seventh or eighth grade, I started thinking about how unusual that is and how strange it is. It's only really been in the last 20 years um, that I've begun to read a whole lot more about uh, all the um, 
different theologies about Jesus' death and resurrection and what it does or does not mean. And atonement theology is only one. Um, and it's only it's it's been around for a while, but it hasn't necessarily been the primary one. And I think what you're speaking to is a um, a trend in Christianity, even that says uh, it's not so much about this tit for tat, my death for yours kind of thing that that uh, captured this church, captured the more evangelical fundamentalist churches in the last 150 years, as it is uh, of he came and he gave his life for the world. Um, uh, in in the name of love. I mean, it's, it sounds like a U2 song, but um, it's, it's because it is like a U2 song. It's, <laughs> that's what it's about. And that's, uh, that's what inspires Bono to write, to write those great things. Um, one of the things that I, that I love about uh, my own Christianity um, or that, I, that I've enjoyed about my own Christianity is the way, the deeper I've gotten into the Bible, the more I see the connectors. There, I said this in the sermon last Sunday. There's lots of uh, or I should say in a recent sermon, there's lots of crazy stuff in the Bible, but when you start to pay attention to the anchor points, it becomes it begins to become very clear. From Genesis 1 on through to the end of the book of Revelation, there are certain points where you say, oh, it's about grace. It's about forgiveness. It's about uh, making sure everyone has enough to eat. It's about making sure everyone has a safe place to, to live, and uh, there's justice within the community. And those themes... Uh, find themselves uh, uh, emerging throughout the the Bible, and that's really where my Christian faith comes down. Because I see Jesus hyper, hyper, hyper preaching about those particular themes. Um, and I also, as I, I've done a couple of infant baptisms lately, and I've started reading Genesis chapter one uh, on the sixth day, which says that uh, after humankind was created in God's image, both male and female. God looked at, at what God had created and said, it is very good. And the word very only appears on the sixth day. So I started thinking about uh, my own faith in terms of the fact that there is a doctrine of uh, original very goodness. Um, and no one out there listening can take that title. That's mine. I'm going to use it and make it into a book someday. <laughs> um, but that's kind of where my Christian faith comes down is this whole idea of of these various themes continue to, to make their way into the, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and especially are emphasized in, in Jesus' own ministry and work. Well, and I do think that there's um, some power in this concept that Jesus voluntarily gave of his life, love, compassion. Um, and there was no um, sense that he demanded that in return. And we as humans, um, flawed humans, tend to want to have um, have all of that returned to us in some way. I do remember once when we were in San Diego, I, I taught a, a Sunday school class. Do you remember between the worship services? There was two services, one at 9 and one at 11. And I started teaching a class called the Sunday Forum. Mm, it was, it mm -hmm. was targeted on young adults, but we ended up with people of all ages. Had about 50 or 60 people that came every Sunday. And Dick Wing, who was the senior minister there, would preach at 9, and he'd preach at 11. But I'd teach a class on the text that he taught. And I remember uh, that he preached on. I remember one time in one of those Sunday school classes asking the question, did Jesus have to die? And a, a, mm. a few folks kind of freaked out. Well, of course he had to. I said, what do you mean, of course he had to? Were there other options? Were there other choices? <clears throat> and we had a long, long conversation about, about the, just the idea of the question itself. 
And and finally, I I think I helped the class uh, kind of get the idea that Jesus' death was turned around by God's action and God's spirit and turned into something good, as opposed to the idea that it was already set in stone and was going to happen and it had to be done. It had to happen this certain way in order to pay this price over here. Um, I know that's kind of a radical theology for some folks, but it's really been an inspirational one for me in terms of understanding that universal sense of love and grace, that no matter what happens to us in life or in death, somehow God's going to make things right. To me, that's what the story of the cross is about, and that's, that defines my Christian faith. All right, that was actually the lighthearted um, conversation <laughs> compared to what's next. Um, uh, the the uh, thought that's come to us from our, our friends on, on Facebook especially is um, a discussion perhaps about um, the immigration issue and the complexity of it and uh, how we're seeing it um, uh, acted out on uh, in the United States of America these days. Um, because uh, you're much smarter about this stuff than I am, Julie, and because I'm a wimp, why don't you go first? <laughs> Um, I know the immigration issue is very complex and needs some compassionate attention by all lawmakers. Um, however, again, as a follower of Jesus, I hear his call to welcome the immigrant and the foreigner. Um, even in our own uh, Statue of Liberty, it states, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shores, send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. Um, I, I just think that it's just really difficult to just turn our backs on these people who are just trying to find a safe um, life for themselves and for their families. It's just really difficult to ignore Say a, little, need. say a little bit about what happens to a child when he or she uh, is pulled away from uh, the parent or parents and has no idea where they're going, no idea what's happening. What, what well, does that do? Well, it causes real significant uh, emotional trauma for a child, especially a very young child who cannot communicate or understand what's happening to them. Um, to remove or to tear them away from that bond, that only bond that they've ever known, um, really creates some emotional and long-lasting um, difficulty for that child. Um, they're going to have to, um, they're just going to have to need a lot of help in order to overcome. Can you think that, of a time in your work as a court-appointed special advocate with uh, as a voice for children in court? When you've seen that happen, and, and describe what it, what it was like. Well, most um, most relevant, I guess, to that type of emotional uh, trauma is when a child is caught between uh, two parents that are divorcing and splitting, and that child is used as um, a pawn between the two parents trying to. Um, cause harm to the other parent, they use the child a lot of times to be the in immediate um, tool. Right. And that's, and that's the way I've heard people describe what's happening at the border on both sides of the political fence is the sad news is um, the children are being used. This is, these are 
Now, I'm not sure I agree with what I'm about to say, but I've heard people, both Republicans and Democrats, say the children are being used as pawns. And, and that's really, to me, when I see the images on television, I read the articles in the, in the different newspapers that I follow, that's really, to me, the sadness is, regardless of what one feels politically about the border situation, although I pretty much agree with everything you said, um, it's just awful to see these children left screaming and crying and, and locked behind chain link fences, almost like um, animals in a zoo. And it's it's just it's just horrifying to see. And I uh, I am glad the president reversed the order. Um, I'm just really concerned that we are we're There's still not, not taking the, the follow steps. up that right. needs to happen mm-hmm. in order to reunify these kids. Um, and if we do not do that, I'm afraid of um, there's going to be consequences not just emotional for these kids, but it's also going to be a very, it's going to be a financial consequence um, I saw to somebody, this action. I saw somebody today make a comment. Uh, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, uh, both of which I read every day. But somebody said, um, boy, 15 years from now, there might be a ton of lawsuits come from some of these children who grow up to be uh, adults who look back and say, uh, uh, boy, the way I was treated was, was inappropriate. That might be a politically tinged uh, commentary. Um, and again, I can remember if that came from a right-wing uh, person or a left-wing person, but it certainly has some effect on us. Uh, talk about having important conversations with people who differ uh, with you politically. How, how do you approach those kind of conversations? What's it like? I know we have friends who are politically on the other side from us and, and good friends and people right. we've been able to break right. bread and drink wine with and, and, and agreeably disagree, I guess would be the way to say that. Talk a little bit about um, what, how you well, I've maneuvered always, through that. I've always um, had the feeling that nobody has ever truly changed somebody else's point of view by being rigid or intolerant. Um, of their political understanding or even religious understanding. Um, Some of us, I don't know, um, have a hard time listening. And and I don't mean just listening so that you can argue your point of view next, but truly listening to someone else and try to understand where they're coming from. Um, Sometimes if we can just listen, we can understand that um, their their experience um, actually has formed their opinions. Um, I think that sometimes if we can truly um, try to understand one's experience, then we can have meaningful dialogue about our differences. And that makes, in the long run, you can um, understand and it can make some feeling that you're not so far off from each other. Uh, right. Uh, I'll never forget um, getting into an argument when I was in San Diego with my golf partner, Lane, a man who was suffering from um, emphysema, who um, nonetheless uh, still played a lot of golf. Remember Lane? Mm-hmm. He dragged his uh, oxygen, dragged tank, his oxygen around. tank around. <laughs> and uh, I, would, I, I was in charge of driving the golf cart. And if I didn't get him close enough to the ball so he didn't have to walk very far from the cart and his oxygen tank, um, he has certain words for me, uh, <laughs> not the kind of words I can repeat on a podcast. Um, and and uh, he and I d- argued about stuff all the time. But, you know, we almost always could go out for a beer afterwards and, and, and shake hands and remain friends. And, and uh, I was uh, a few years after becoming his very good friend, um, I was honored to stand at, the, at his graveside and 
and perform his his funeral um, uh, and and lead that for him and his family. Um, I do remember one Sunday, though, when I'd made a comment about uh, the need for us to, um, in my class, my Sunday forum class, the Sunday school class I was teaching, to think more carefully about the war that we were involved in at that time. And Lane took exception, and he and I got into a pretty good conversation, respectful, um, heated, uh, intense, but very respectful, no name-calling. or any, It was a very civil uh, uh, way of uh, conversing about this. And then uh, he stood next to me at the communion table in, in uh, worship that, that Sunday. In that congregation, um, lay people were always at the table next to the clergy. I remember Lane, with tears in his eyes, saying to the congregation, uh, he was spo- only supposed to pray, but he took the opportunity <laughs> to make a speech. Sure which made me nervous, but I loved what he said. He said, I'm in support of this war. And this is the exact words he said. And so don't be offended. It was my friend Elaine who said it. I'm in support of this war, but we need to remember it's not a damn football game. Mm. I just remember it was one of those pin drop moments in the church where everyone sat up straight. And it wasn't because he used the word damn. It was because most of the people in that congregation knew where he stood. He made it clear where he stood. But he also said, this is a hard difficult, awful thing. He followed up something along the lines of, there are moms and dads who are going to wake up tomorrow with Mm -hmm. notes in their mailboxes Mm -hmm. or somebody Mm -hmm. on their doorstep to tell them that their son or their daughter is not coming home alive. And I I just remember the great respect I had for Lane in that moment of recognizing. And of course, part of what he was saying came from his own experience. Right. He served in World War II. Remember, he was in a ship that was sunk off Corregidor. Uh, He obviously survived it. Uh, Harrowing, awful, scary, frightening deal. And he he told stories about it, but never in a kind of, listen to me and my Heroic. Yeah, Yeah, he he wasn't the hero. He he... was just like, this stuff is hell. And I believe in that war, he said, and I believe this was a war back in the early 1990s, the Gulf War. Um, but he also was really clear about how hard and difficult and, and uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially, psychologically um, uh, uh, hard it can be. Um, I, think, I think that's part of the discussion that we've got to have here is, is um, you, you know, this, the immigrant, back to the immigrant thing. The experiences definitely um, enri- enrich our point of view right. if we can listen carefully. Right. This is Still Listening with Julie and Glenn Miles. If you have a topic for us, email it to stilllistening at glennmiles.org. Or you can leave a message for us on the First Community Church Facebook page.